Welcome to Venture in the South, a podcast about startup investing in the Southern United States. Our hosts are experienced angel investors with over 90 startup investments. We'll share some Southern wisdom while exposing you to the vibrant startups in the South. Welcome to Venture in the South, the podcast about angel investing in the southeastern United States. I am Paul, one of your co-hosts, and I'm here today with our regular co-host, David. And today we're going to talk about exits. This is one of the more fun uh, topics about angel investing, uh, when these companies that we're investing in finally get acquired and we see some returns on our money. Uh, it's a day that sometimes can take a long time to arrive, uh, a day that some early angel investors have probably never experienced yet. Um, so to give you a, uh, maybe if you're new to the asset class, a, a preview of coming attractions. Um, uh, and if you are familiar with the class, um, some exploration about how complicated some of these exits can be. Specifically today, we're going to talk about the exit waterfall. And that is the process of figuring out when an angel investment comes to an end, who gets what from the proceeds. Before we dive too far, um, if you like our podcast, please, if you would, just take a minute to rate and review us so you, so we know that we're doing a good job or not. Um, and if you have any feedback about other subjects you'd like us to talk about, we would love to hear that from you too. So to kick things off, David, I have a question for you. Um, on the last company that you successfully exited, did you get paid the right amount of money for that exit? Great question. And... Um, I think my honest answer is not sure. And the reason it's not sure is it's a very difficult calculus equation uh, because of all the, the moving gears. And also there's a, there's a return on effort aspect of it where you can put a lot of effort into this and get pretty close to reality, or you can put an extreme amount of effort into it and get extreme accuracy. And I probably have chosen the farmer path because it's just so hard. Now, some some exits are very simple, like uh, Atlas Organics. They had, what did they have, Paul? Three rounds, um, uh, something like that. And it was relatively yep. straightforward. Um, and and that was much simpler. And uh, the, the key for my approach is I want to know the share price at each round. If you know the share price at each round, it makes it much simpler to determine what you own and thus how much you're going to get based on the exit share price that there's complicating factors, obviously because of options and convertible notes and safes and this sort of stuff. But then you get to something like the Proterra exit um, where, you know, there were eight plus rounds and super complicated and they went IPO via a SPAC, which introduced the pipe investors, the SPAC investors and then public investors, and what a smoking hot mess. <laughs> I think that is the technical way to describe uh, exits like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it can get tremendously complicated, and it is often very hard as a small early stage investor to figure out what happened, what, what this check was for, why you got it, and, and how it was calculated. Uh, as somebody that operates angel groups, uh, I'm one of the people that sits behind that spreadsheet to try to figure out who owns what and whether... Um, and whether what we're sending, what we're receiving from the portfolio company is what we should have got and what our investors should be getting. And it takes a while. There are a few iterations that are needed to, to get it right. Um, and I'm pretty confident that we don't always get it right you know, perfectly all the time, but we do a pretty good job. 
Um, but before we get into the like the details of complicated spreadsheets, I thought it'd be useful just to walk through what happens when a company is acquired so people can hear about the different stages in what we call the waterfall. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, and it's called the waterfall because the money comes into the top and it flows down to the right people uh, in the right amounts. Um, and if you know where you are in the waterfall and who's above you in the waterfall taking stuff out of the water before it hits you, you get a better idea of, of what um, what you should be getting. So um, let's talk about uh, the the easier uh, type of exit where, where a company is just being acquired. Let's ignore for now the complications of the Proterra SPAC IPO and all of that uh, and take what is it, the more common scenario of a company is just bought. Uh, and when that happens, then the acquiring company basically buys the shares of, usually, um, that, that company and sends the money to the owners of those shares. Um, but there are some things that get in the way of that. So usually in that kind of transaction, there are other professional services involved, an investment banker brokering the transaction, um, accountants doing quality of earnings reports in it, attorneys writing the deal documents. All those people get paid before the investors get paid. So at the top of the waterfall are um, all the people that have made that transaction happen. And that is usually not a material amount of money in the context of the transaction, but it's also a material amount of money. Um, very frequently, the investment banker bill is larger than the entire seed round was or the pre-seed round was. So it can feel pretty galling to, to an investor um, who's put you know, $250,000 in five years ago to see an investment banker come along and take $250,000 out right now for you know, six months of work. Um, so th those kinds of things can definitely impact the, the top of the waterfall. After that, um, going back to the fundamentals of, you know, um, of how corporate law works, debt gets paid before equity. So the next piece on the waterfall is any debt the company has outstanding. And that could be a convertible note on the most recent round of convertible notes. It could be a bank line of credit if the company is really matured and is generating now, now enough cash flow to do that. Just a second, Paul. So convertible debt typically converts to equity at a liquidity event. And so yeah. the the typical, now maybe not all, but the typical note is going to have terms in which conversion to equity is required. So things like uh, uh, acquisition as uh, uh, exit at a certain value or, or a purchase at a certain value, things like this. Yep. And so most of the time, convertible notes are going to convert to equity. But occasionally, particularly in a down situation, yep. they're going to be debt. Yeah, they might just be paid off. Uh, they might have a change of control clause in it. So it says that if this company is acquired, I get two times my money back um, or I can convert. So there's already some complication here about where this note is sitting in this waterfall. Some scenarios, it might be up here at the top. Some scenarios, it might convert, be further down, but get more money later. You can start uh, to the, see where these complications are The liquidation are preference, essentially. Yeah, right. Um, so convertible debt is one piece of debt. There's plenty of others too. So there might be some bank debt. There might be a loan from a board member that had to come in at one point to keep this company afloat. Um, there's lots of reasons why there might be some debt outstanding that needs to be dealt with. Um, even after you've done all that, assuming there's still money flowing down this waterfall, then the money eventually arrives at the equity holders. So this is usually where the angels investors are sitting and where the management team are sitting as well. But if you, if you recall back to when we first invested in a deal, um, as an angel investor, we're typically buying preferred equity. So we had a, a, a show on what that means. Uh, just very quickly here, it means we get paid out first 
to some extent before other people below us in this waterfall get paid. So the next step is to try to figure out how much we're going to get paid. Do we? Is there enough waterfall here to just take our liquidation preference, or do we need to convert to common equity and get more money? So that's the has, next step. This has big implications for uh, situations where there's not enough money for all the investors, and so the preference right. ends up deciding who gets money and who doesn't. That's right. It can definitely in uh, exits that aren't that spectacularly good. This this comes into play more often. Although it can come into play even in good deals where I've got a participating liquidation preference. So I would I would take my liquidation preference and I would convert so I'd get to double dip. Yeah, so the participation that's another, another comes first before you have the pool to share for all the shareholders. Right, you might get my 1x back before the pool. And then I also jump into the pool. Yeah, so figuring out then what the right scenario is here based on how much money is left. You might not know that until the last minute. Um, so that's another area of, of complexity. Then even within that, who actually owns what in the in the equity position is kind of hard to figure out. It may have been, you know, Atlas didn't have just three rounds. It had several rounds. Um, Proterra had eight or nine, you know. So figuring out who owns what and how they are stacked within the preferred equity uh, part of the cap table, that can take a lawyer and a lot of brain power to figure out who exactly owns what in there. Assuming that we figure this all out, and this is a great deal, let's say, and it's obvious we all need to convert to common equity and just take our, prefer, our pro rata share of the whole pie. Um, that's a good result when that happens, not least because it makes the math easier for everybody. Um, the water then is down with all the common shareholders at that point, and we just divide it between who owns what in the company on the, on the common. So let's say the founders own 40% of the company, investors own 60%. Well, now let's make it 50%, then there's 10% left over for employees and option holders and other things. If we've done a good job keeping records across the life of the company, we know who owns what and the proceeds can go to them, uh, pro rata. That's a pretty big if, though, because a lot of stuff happens in the life of a company. There might be an option award to this guy that wasn't really recorded properly. Uh, there might be a, you know, warrants on this piece of debt that we hadn't put on the cap table because it was a piece of debt, so nobody was really paying attention to that. And there might, there might be options awarded but aren't vested. There might, yeah. So who, who actually is entitled to the proceeds on those? Lots of complications can arise there. They typically also arise here because suddenly everybody has an incentive to go figure this stuff out now because there's money here and I want my piece of it. So you get at that point a lot of people you may not have heard of or from for a few years <laughs> giving you a call saying, where's my piece of that? Where's my piece of that? They're figuring out if they actually do have a claim on that or not, and you know who benefits and who loses out. It can be pretty hard to make all these documents and you know all the sort of contractual requirements here fit together and also manage everybody so that they aren't feeling annoyed that they're getting ripped off in this situation. So that can be pretty messy to deal with, um, especially in tra challenging situations where not everybody's making money in this in this yeah. scenario. So going through all of that waterfall, we're at the bottom um, and everybody gets paid out what they think they should get paid out. Unfortunately, the complication hasn't finished yet. So the investors have their money back. But if the investors are fund, then the fund has to figure out who within that fund gets what. And the main division there being carry. So the fund managers might take a slice of the uh, capital gain there if there is one. And the LPs, the, the investors in that fund, get the rest. Figuring that out can be another whole level of complicated spreadsheets. Um, uh, but even if it's even if that doesn't apply and you're just investing directly on your own, then you've got to figure out 
how much of this proceeds does the tax man get? And that's another chunk of your waterfall disappearing, potentially. If it's a QSPS stock, maybe not. We've had an episode on the tax benefits of Asian investing where maybe we keep all the proceeds. But there's a decent chance that some of this might be owed to the IRS as well. So figuring that out is the next part of the problem. So between all of that waterfall, um, who knows whether you got the right amount of money out of that successful exit or not. Um, you probably get a you know, ballpark sense, um, but you may not know for sure. So I would refer listeners to episode 12 where we talked about the QSBS tax benefit to angel investing. Uh, do you just get some information about that? We'll take a break here. And uh, again, I'll remind listeners to rate and review if you like our podcast. Venture in the South is brought to you by the Rolling South Fund, a rolling fund focused on Southeastern startups. The fund allows quarterly investment with a minimum of just $5,000. For more information, please go to rollingsouth.vc. Welcome back to Venture in the South. Uh, we are talking today about exit waterfalls. Uh, hopefully you have followed us down this waterfall so far and you are in receipt of your check for the uh, proceeds from this transaction. Um, I'd like to talk just for a couple of minutes with David about how you would go back to verify that you got the right amount. Um, so David, what what have you tried to do to either sort of proactively know ahead of time what you're getting uh, or after the transaction figuring out whether it was the right amount or not? <laughs> Well, that's a great question. I'm not sure I have a great response. What, what I do proactively is I track the post-money valuation of the shares. And so I know how many shares I purchase. And if I know the post-money valuation by share, it makes it a lot easier for me to, on my spreadsheet where I track all my investments to see, okay, what's it worth based on the uh, last valuation um, my share count. And now it's not perfect because as you mentioned, there's expenses that go into exit that are subtracted from the total. And so it's, it's a, it's a fairly close estimate. If you can get a per share tracking at each round a valuation per share at each round. And of course, if you're investing in additional rounds then you have new shares to track like that. So you have different tranches of investment to follow. That's what I do. Uh, in terms of after the, uh, liquidity event, uh, I I uh, email Paul or or, <laughs> or uh, someone else and say, can you send me the spreadsheet on the breakdown yeah, of yeah, that? Right. Uh, because that's really the most reliable way. Because they're doing all this work, and uh, I, I I don't I don't think I can do a better job than them. So I rely on them uh, to do that. And and again, this is one of the the benefits of being in an angel group and being in a fund is you get this kind of backup. Yeah, I think those are basically the same answers I would what I would give too. Um, along the way, just keep asking for information. Ask every quarter for the updated cap table. If you're getting data from the company through Carter, make sure you download that cap table fairly often so you have kind of an evolution of it over time so you can figure out what is happening and and what happened if you're looking at it later on. Yeah, that's that's Don't where you get about the per share that. price if it's yep. from the cap table. Right. Oh, well, but also get the documents. When there's a transaction, ask for the transaction binder and probably somebody will send it to you. The attorneys on the deal will probably send it to you. Um, if there's a shareholder approval along the way, make sure you get all the documents you need from that and save them somewhere because it, 
when it comes to the exit, you'll want to make sure you look back and see what happened and keep keep all the math straight. So don't be shy about asking for that. Typically, you, the companies are contractually obliged to give you that based on the deal terms of the documents. Uh, sometimes you might lose those rights along the way. Uh, if there are lots of big up rounds with big VCs along the way, maybe you lose some of that. But in most sort of smaller scale exits, you, you're entitled to get all the information. So that's one thing that I would definitely recommend. Uh, you mentioned ask me for a spreadsheet. Um, talk to the other investors to figure out if everybody you know feels good that this is what is supposed to have happened um, and that they you know feel fairly confident they're getting the right amount as well. Another 10 sets of eyes on the spreadsheet is always valuable because somebody is going to pick up the mistake that I might miss or that you might miss. So definitely would encourage that to happen too. Uh, the other thing that happens a lot in transactions is there usually has to be some kind of shareholder approval at the end of it to say, this can go ahead to happen. And you might want to condition giving that approval on getting this information. And a, you know, a sensible company will give you the information so that you can give the approval and everybody's happy with the deal. Um, so before we give shareholder approvals for just about anything, we make sure we have everything we need that our information is updated, that we feel good that the cap table is right. Um, and especially at this end, this is your last chance to get this right when the transaction is happening. Make sure you get all the information you want before you know that shareholder approval is done. So definitely would, would recommend all of those things. Uh, the other thing I would say is um, just be aware of some of the ways that this waterfall can get even more complicated. Um, there's, there, there are things that people do around transactions that you will see in multiple exits and just to be aware of when those are happening and what the implications are, are, are pretty useful. So not to spend another hour talking about them, but uh, just to give you a quick sense of a couple of them. A lot of transactions, you sell a company, but you don't get all the proceeds right away. Some of it goes into an escrow account and you only get that money if, if everything that people said in these documents turned out to be true. Uh, and if, you know, if they are, you get that money eventually, but some of that money might disappear into a hole for a while and come back a year or two years from now. Just be aware that that might happen and that will impact the waterfall. Uh, some other transactions, uh, that money will be taken out or it's contingent on the company hitting certain performance targets going forward. And those are called earnouts. So those are different from escrow. Um, and you just want to be aware that you may not ever get those proceeds because the company has to do things to earn those proceeds. Uh, and you don't have any impact on whether or not the company can do that. Potentially, even the management team you backed before doesn't have any real impact on the company's ability to get that. So you probably want to assume you're never going to see that money. And if you get it, it's a nice, nice bonus. So escrows and earnouts are one thing that can be um, uh, sort of divert the funds away from your waterfall into somewhere else. Um, but there's also a fair amount of shenanigans that go on in <laughs> no. in in, in, um, in, uh, in these kind of things. Just to give you as one, one basic sort of another place where interests aren't always necessarily aligned. This company is being acquired. Let's say, you know, a big strategy is acquiring this small startup. As a condition of that, the CEO of this small startup has to go work for the big strategic. Now their loyalty is not to the old investors from five years ago, it's to their employer. So just making sure that you still trust that person, that they're going to act in the best interests of the investors, or there's enough oversight to make sure that's going well. Um, that their salary is, you know, market rate and sensible. They're not getting a big hidden payment for this transaction to happen or a big chunk of the proceeds are not going to them because the acquirer has said, look, this guy needs to get more money out of this waterfall than he would have made ordinarily. That stuff happens a lot. So just keeping an eye on it, being aware of it, 
pushing back on it if it if it's excessive. Um, that's something that you know, a decently engaged investor that wants to be maybe a potentially a bit of a pain in the ass at this point in the transaction can do um, just to make sure everybody's treated properly as they should have been. So the waterfall analysis is done typically by the professionals managing the transaction. Um, and so can investors ask for the actual waterfall analysis? Yeah, they can. And they should. Yeah, we, we would absolutely ask everybody to give it to us in a, in a transaction. Otherwise, how can you tell that they've even got the number of shares you own correct? Yeah. Um, so you definitely want to make sure that, um, that you get as much information there as you can. And that it's the, the waterfall analysis is typically a spreadsheet that basically moves by round from left to right, where you have columns for round A, round B, so on and so forth, and all the variables, the various owners, and it breaks down the ownership by shares, by percentage, by actual dollar value at that time. And so very, very useful information Obviously complex and uh, prone to error and yeah. worth looking at. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I mean, it can be the difference between you know, $20,000 or $100,000 in an exit if real major mistakes are made. You know, So definitely want to make sure you dig into it as much as you can. And at the end of it, congratulations. Well done on getting to an exit and having some money back from your angel investing. And we'll talk about what you can do with that money on a future podcast. All right. Well, thanks, Paul. That was a great review. And again, listeners, rate and review. And we hope we'll see you next week. This podcast is supported by Venture Carolina, an educational nonprofit focused on angel investors and entrepreneurs. Our team is built from successful entrepreneurs, investors, venture capitalists, board members, and executives that want to give back. Thank you for listening. Please consider subscribing and leaving us a review. Visit us at VentureInTheSouth.com for a complete list of previous and future shows. Contact us if you have comments or requests.